The emergency medical system touches millions of lives each year. Let's hear from somebody out in the field. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And my guest is Fire Battalion Chief Charles Orth of the Wilmette, Illinois Fire Department. A 28-year veteran of the force, Chief Orth is also the medical officer for the department, has been a paramedic for the last 26 years, and is an Illinois State fire investigator. Chief Orth and I are sharing healthcare stories from his 28 years in the fire service. Chief Orth, welcome to Reach MD. Thank you very much, Dr. Bloom. So tell us your earliest experience that you remember with being in the field and taking care of somebody. My earliest experience was probably 1979, 1980. I, I was fortunate enough to begin my career in Northfield as a paid-on-call firefighter paramedic. And in 1980, I began my career as a full-time firefighter paramedic with the Wilmette Fire Department. So I was able to do both for about 10 years. And then I, because of family issues, I then later retired from the Northfield Fire Department. But in that time, when you look back on every area that we cover, we cover a very extensive area of the Edens Expressway. We cover the lakefront. There's lots of calls that we go on that involve motor vehicle accidents, women in labor, drug overdose calls, children that you know injure themselves, people not breathing. So the gamut is wide, and the variety of calls are incredible. So what's your favorite heroic medical story, something that you've seen or been a part of as you've been out in the field? One of the ones, we had a call on the east side of Wilmette some years ago where a gentleman wanted to commit suicide and take his girlfriend with him. And at that time, he had shot himself several times. Uh, He was already deceased in the vehicle. And the girlfriend was smart enough. She got shot about four or five times in the chest, and she played dead. He, He actually shot her first and then you know, wanted to commit suicide. We got her in the ambulance. We were able to uh, provide advanced life support and actually, you know, bring her to the hospital. And she was very lucky the bullets did not hit any critical portions of her heart or lungs, and she's actually was fine. Wow. What's the most tragic tale that you remember of your time on the force? We've had some tragic tales. When you look at the Edens Expressway, there's been quite a few bizarre accidents that we've had out there through the years. One of them that comes to mind is uh, we had a gentleman that was in a car, and they're probably driving about 55 miles an hour. His car was just slightly tapped, and it caused it to spin out. His driver's door opened, and he was not wearing a seatbelt, and he was thrown out of his vehicle, and his own car ran him over and subsequently killed him. Had he been wearing a seatbelt, he wouldn't have even had a scratch. So it just goes to show that you really need to make sure that you know you take care of your family and, and make sure they're always wearing seatbelts. So your primary duty right now is fire battalion chief. So obviously you've been involved in a lot of fire incidents. What are the kinds of medical things that you have to deal with, both from a victim standpoint and a firefighter standpoint at the scene of a fire? Well, it's very interesting because we also have to take care of our own people. And one of the things that we do first and foremost is scene safety. And because of the fact that we come in on many different emergency situations, uh, you have situations where people are trying to commit suicide or they're holding their family hostage, whether it's with a gun or a knife. And you wouldn't think that would happen in this area, but I was on duty the day Lori Dan had her uh, shooting rampage in Winnetka, and I was fortunate enough, I was supposed to be on the ambulance that was actually there that transported Nick Corwin, who was a gentleman that was a nine-year-old boy that was shot in Winnetka at uh, Hubbardwood School. Fortunately, you know, we took care of a lot of kids that day. He was unfortunately not able to survive. 
But one of those situations, I think when you look back at that, that was one of the first tragic, large-scale, nationally televised school shooting incidents. And I think since then you've seen a lot of school shootings, and it's gotten bigger and bigger and more publicity and worse each time. But that was a very tragic situation. But it could have been worse had it not been the for the efforts of the fire service at that particular situation. Talk about at the fire itself. When you have a fire, what are the kinds of medical issues that come up at a fire scene? At a fire scene, you've got to worry about smoke inhalation. You've got to worry about people that are passed out. Quite oftentimes, people will end up doing drugs or alcohol, and they've got their candles going, and they seem to pass out or fall asleep, and that causes a fire. So you have burns, anywhere from first to third degree burns that you have to deal with. You've got smoke inhalation issues. You've got trauma issues as well. And not only can that happen to people in the home, but we have to also worry about our own firefighters that are going in to those situations. I mean, when you go into a fire, you know, it can be anywhere from 1,000 to 1,500 degrees. And when you go into those situations, not only is the heat an issue, but the smoke and also just, the you know, the water spraying and turning to steam can cause steam burns as well. What kind of equipment do you wear that protects you from those kinds of heat and water issues? We are covered from head to toe with protective equipment. We've got our bunker boots and our pants with Nomex covering. It's a three-layer design item where there's an outer shell, a vapor barrier, and also a heat barrier that we wear. Uh, We also wear gloves. We wear our self-contained breathing apparatus, which allow us to breathe in those fire situations, our helmet, and we have a Nomex hood on as well. So we are basically, when we're done and we do public education programs, we're covered from head to toe. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Fire Battalion Chief Charles Orth of the Wilmot, Illinois Fire Department, a 28-year veteran of the force. Chief Orth is also the medical officer for the department and has been a paramedic for the last 26 years. The chief and I are discussing his medical experiences on the force. So... What kinds of things do you typically have to do for victims at a fire scene? Take us through some of the medical treatments that you're giving them. Well, the first thing is we actually basically have to rescue them from the building, and then we have to assess their situation. And basically what we do all through is the ABCs, airway, breathing, and circulation. Once we've determined that that is intact, then we have to assess them for any injuries that they might have. They could have cervical injuries where we have to mobilize their neck with a collar and put them on a backboard. We usually try to check out their level of consciousness. They may be burned. If they're unconscious, we have to do a head-to-toe assessment and make sure that, you know, we don't overlook anything. There's times where, you know, clothing will obstruct a broken femur or, you know, any kind of other dislocation or deformity. So we basically have to do a rapid assessment. We'll get them in the back of the ambulance. We'll start an IV. We'll do a cardiogram. And then we'll assess their lungs to make sure that they're not full of fluids and make sure that there's no, you know, other head injury or anything going on, and then take them to the hospital. So what do you do for smoke inhalation? What's the diagnostic for that, and what's the treatment for it? The basic thing with smoke inhalation is that you're going to start an IV. You're going to put them on 100% oxygen by mask, so they're going to get about 15 liters per minute. If it's called for, we could end up using the CPAP system, you know, which actually forces more air into their lungs and helps them breathe. We would do a pulse oximeter reading, which we do on all patients to get their oxygen saturation in their blood. The only problem is if they're a victim of CO poisoning, the problem with that is that when you do get a reading, it's inaccurate because the CO bonds and it gives a false reading on your pulse oximetry. And what do you do for patients that have CO problems? Is there some treatment that's different than the smoke inhalation? Basically, we do the same thing, 100% O2, 15 liters by mask, a non-rebreather mask, you know, start an IV, 
hook them up to a cardiac monitor, assess their breathing, listen to their lungs, and then you know contact the hospital and, and transport them as quickly and rapidly as we can. If there was something that you could change about how you're able to treat patients at a fire scene, what would it be? We're very fortunate in this area because there's so many hospitals that are so close. There really isn't too much to change at this point. I think the big thing is sometimes because we're so close, we feel that we'd like to do a little less and get the patient to the hospital where they can get you know, different care. But because of the training that we do employ, we're very confident in what we do, and we're able to do quite a bit for them right in the back of the ambulance. So as a layperson, I always wonder, is it harder to do the medical care in the back of the ambulance on the way? I mean, is things shifting around like in a Keystone Cop situation, or is it really very stable back there? The ambulances, through technology, have improved greatly in their ride and and our ability to do patient care. Although we do, for the most part, you know, depending on the level of injury to the patient, try to basically stabilize the patient and then start transporting to the hospital. There are certain minor things that we can do, but you're certainly not going to want to try to start an IV en route unless you're going to start a second IV if you want to give them two large bore IVs to increase their fluid intake. But for the most part, a lot of things that we do, we basically, because we have the engines with us and we have three to five people with us in the back of the ambulance, and sometimes we're stepping over each other, but the patients provided excellent care from head to toe, and then that way we can actually get a lot done in a short time. So let's step back to the fire scene now and talk about fire personnel. What's the typical injury that they get, and what do you do to treat them? You'll typically see strains and sprains and some burns, and on occasion, and the problem in the fire service, as we all know, we go from zero to 100 in no time. All of a sudden, we may be just at the fire station doing routine maintenance on a vehicle or doing our checks of the rigs, and all of a sudden, you get a fire. So now you're putting in, and just the fact that there may be a fire and that someone's life may be at stake, your heart rate increases, and as you get older, and we try to stay in shape, but you can see where you know the heart attack issue can be a real problem in the fire service. Has that ever happened to anybody that you've been with? We had a couple gentlemen, not actually on the fire scene, but right after a fire situation that we ended up having, you know, one of the gentlemen actually arrested. It can happen, and we've I've actually lost some friends in fires through years, you know, also that that ends up happening. Is there a difference these days in the way that you approach a fire based on what you know and because of the equipment that you have that makes it safer or more dangerous for firemen? The only problem that we have nowadays is the gear that protects us is so good. You can find yourselves getting deeper into a fire that you have to allow for time that you spent getting to it. If it took you 20 minutes to get in, you have to make sure you have enough air to get that 20 minutes to get back out. The other problem that you see is that when we have some of these major incidences, if you've ever been in any kind of a fire or smoky situation, it's black, it's hot, you can't see your hand in front of your face. I think we have gotten smarter in the fire service, especially now with all the training and the classes that we go through, is that when you think about it, we didn't start the fire. If there's nobody in there that needs to be rescued, you got to be a little bit smarter and back out because insurance companies will provide and rebuild the home or the business structure. So you don't want to risk a lot to gain a little. So when you look back on it, say, why am I risking these guys' lives for a structure? I mean, we're dedicated to saving lives and property, but in the fire service, we've been reevaluating everything and saying, why are we really putting these guys in harm's way when after we put the fire out, nine times out of 10, they're going to knock the structure down anyways and rebuild it. So why did we do what we do sometimes? And when you get to the hospital, how are you involved with the emergency room staff? Where does your service end and how much do you do when you're at the hospital itself? 
We have a great working relationship with the doctors and nurses at the hospital, and depending on the severity of the patient's illnesses or injuries, we will continue to provide care and help them. And it also depends on how busy the emergency room is. If the emergency room is real busy, they might ask us to continue to assist, you know, bagging a patient or stay with the patient to provide care. So again, it depends on the patient's needs at the time and what the ER staffing is like. The emergency medical system is filled with stories of heroism and tragedy. What has changed over the last three decades? I want to thank our guest, Fire Battalion Chief Charles Orth of the Wilmette, Illinois Fire Department, a 28-year veteran of the force, the department medical officer and a paramedic for the last 26 years, for sharing his on-the-ground experiences with us. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com where you can find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you access to our entire program library. And thank you for listening.